Welcome to the One Signal Podcast, where we aim to educate ourselves on product industry and best practices that relates to building and growing a customer messaging practice. This is your host, Josh Wetzel. I'm excited to have our co-founder and CEO, George Deglin, as our guest here to hear the story about One Signal and uh, to discuss the build versus buy question that organizations consider. Well, first off, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, great to be here, Josh. Before we get into the build versus buy, I want to know kind of HipTech was the original startup that you and Long started. It was an original mobile gaming startup, which became OneSignal. And I've started kind of an, an urban myth of sorts, which I won't disclose here, with the troops around how we got to where we got to. But I'd love for you to set the record straight. So how did we get here? Uh, yeah, let's see. So the real story. We started the company that would become OneSignal actually all the way back in 2011. It was the second company that I'd co-founded. It was sort of making a transition from being CTO, founder and CTO of my, my prior company, to being CEO of a new one. And I met my co-founder, uh, Long, through a mutual friend. And we had explored a, a few ideas together. Went through uh, the Y Combinator Accelerator in the summer of 2011, and actually at, at Demo Day, which is a, an event that YC has for startups that are going through the program to pitch to investors. Our presentation was a uh, tool to create a personal website for yourself. So we were very much kind of interested in the, in the consumer space initially, Eventually, that pivoted into us being a mobile game studio. And then it was through those experiences, building games and building consumer applications, that we recognized there was an opportunity to get in the notification space. And very specifically, I think a challenge that a lot of consumer applications have is user retention. You can obviously invest money into advertising to acquire users, there's also all sorts of established ways for monetization, be it advertising or subscriptions. We had explored sort of both for the products that we were working on. Yeah, when it comes to user retention, strangely, uh, there was a real lack of good technology for that. And as a game studio in particular, that was a big pain point for us. We ended up investing a lot of our development time into addressing this challenge. And one of the big ways to increase user retention on mobile is by leveraging the push notification channel on devices. It's completely free to use. It can be incredibly effective. We all know lots of big companies that send us notifications that really spark our engagement. And we knew that this was something that we had to do well to have high engagement in our games. Yet we were surprised that because of the lack of tools, we ended up building it ourselves, actually pulled ourselves away from building games for much of our development time to instead start using these open source uh, libraries to send notifications. We also explored some uh, third-party vendors, but a lot of them were either really expensive or it was kind of a feature tacked onto another product suite and it, and it was not very good. Or some of them uh, just didn't even have a software library that we could use in our games and, and we would have to end up having to write and maintain one ourselves and that would have been quite painful. And that was the experience that sort of made us come to this realization that there was this product that we desperately needed, yet it didn't exist out there. And when we looked at what other companies were doing, every single company that was doing a good job of user engagement with notifications was building a technology themselves. And in large part, every company was essentially building the same set of solutions. There was a ton of overlap. And that's when we came to the realization that, wow, if someone just built a product like this, that took these best practices, that took these core components and built it into a single product, then that would have been really transformative for our business and for every other developer out there. Ultimately, it was such an exciting idea that we wound down the game studio and switched our focus to building OneSignal. And this is after a game with Shaquille O'Neal? Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, so we tried all sorts of things to make our game successful. And I'd say one of the things that we were great at was user acquisition. And one of the ways we did that is, is we built a game that had the Shaquille O'Neal IP, which was great. Obviously, it got a ton of press. Shaq played the game on SportsCenter, uh, which was uh, really entertaining to see. We actually did a, an earlier game, too, called Go Ninja. And we partnered with uh, Grant Imahara, who some people may recall from Mythbusters. And we, uh, we brought his likeness into that game. So I think that's one thing that we were just great at. Getting users to hear about our games, to come play our games, was something that, that we did very well. Millions of people came to play the games. It was holding on to them that was more of a challenge, and, and where a solution like OneSignal would have really helped us a lot. So when you thought about the, you saw this opportunity, why didn't you buy you know, and go get a vendor at that point? There were some vendors out there. Mm-hmm. Um, why did you choose to build it yourself, ultimately? Yeah, actually, there were not that many vendors out there. Frankly, there were some. Uh, there was Urban Airship at the time, as an example, and, and they had a very rudimentary solution, but they did not have a good Unity SDK. So our games were built in Unity, so that was already a huge barrier. We'd have to basically write our own software library. The other one is that their pricing was really exorbitant. They had a very, very minimal free tier at the time. That they had basically cut all the features from, and the minute you cross more than a million users, which all of our games quickly crossed, you had to uh, talk to a salesperson, and the starting price was way outside of our budget. So that was really a non-starter for us. The only products out there that would have worked at all were, you know, a couple open source solutions, but were very, very lacking in features, had a very high maintenance burden to them. And then there were a couple small vendors, one of which we did end up using for a while. But the reliability and the usability of the product was atrocious. Basically, it did the bare minimum. We used it, but we knew that we were you know, only doing 5% of what we should be. And so when you made this full pivot, what year was this? This was in late 2014. 2014, and you'd already gotten traction on the push notification service at this point? Or was it pivot, build it, and then roll it out? Yeah, so we, we were actually still working on the last game that we built in parallel to working on this, this push notification service. And then as soon as that game shipped, we had already started to see early traction and a ton of interest for the notification product. And it was clear that we were sort of done with the days of being a game studio, for better or worse, and uh, we were now going to be uh, building this engagement product. You're all about SaaS at that point. Yeah, I, essentially. I, I didn't realize it yet, though. Yep. So that's 2014. When did you see this sort of crazy growth curve spike that we all talk about internally and we see in those graphs from those you know past years and even mm-hmm. happening today? But yeah, the growth of the product was was almost instantaneous. Some of our early traction just came from getting some friends on the platform while it was sort of in closed beta. And then once we opened it up, we partnered with a couple other companies that built game development tools. And that sort of started to spread awareness for OneSignal. And you know, I think a lot of people say that businesses are not the kind of thing where you build it and people will just come. But for us, it really was. We truly hit on a huge pain point for a lot of developers. And they really were coming. They were, they were coming, in fact, faster than we could really keep up. You know, initially we were getting so many users every week that we were effectively doubling our user base every few weeks and making sure that all of our infrastructure and all of the systems that we built and how we did support and all of that actually had to scale with the fact that we just kept on doubling over and over and over. I remember there were there was a time when we were getting uh, like three or four users per day when we were like giving every single user really hands-on attention to make sure that they were successful. Then that just kept building up, and after a while, we were getting um, like sixty or seventy users a day, and, and that felt like a lot. 
And then uh, this other company in the space that had a very basic push solution out there called Parse announced that they would be shutting down. And then overnight, our daily signups doubled. And it's, it's kept on scaling from there. So yeah, it really, uh, really took off fast. That's awesome. And how did you manage costs and these sort of these key technical decisions mm-hmm. along the way? I mean, this is pre-Series A. Yep, you pre-seed round. Pre-seed round, uh, okay, well. pre-seed. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, how did you manage those decisions to keep the service strong mm-hmm. and scaling with very limited funding? Mm-hmm. So we had always been a very frugal company, especially in, in the game studio days, we were essentially bootstrapped. So we didn't pay for anything that wasn't 100% worth it. And when we made the pivot to OneSignal, we had a very small amount of money saved up. We had actually like spent a lot of our savings trying to build the, the game studio and then building out this product. So anywhere where we could sort of save money, we would. And one of those ways actually was we were uh, using some free cloud credits that some companies give to startups and uh, we started off with one hosting provider that gave us like a, a few thousand dollars in cloud credits. And then as soon as those started running low, we switched to another one. And when those started running low, we switched to another one. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> and we wanted to sort of stretch them out as much as we could. And it was worth even investing the time to make the switch when we needed to in order to get sort of the new credits. One of the things that sort of came out of that was the way we built things from the beginning was very cost efficient. And then also, one of the vendors that we ended up choosing for hosting ended up having a specific type of server, these database servers with NVMe storage that were an incredible value for the performance that you got out of them. And we ended up building a lot of our infrastructure to really make efficient use of these database servers. Um, And that's continued to be one of the core technologies of our business, is making sure that we can store data at a very low cost, transfer it at a very low cost, and all the things that we build today even as we've raised money and we have more money to spend on infrastructure, we're very mindful of keeping our costs low and then being able to pass that savings on to our customers. It's good, and it's, uh, it's something that I didn't appreciate until I got here was the efficiency, I think, of, of how it was built. So speed we talk a lot about, but even from mm-hmm. a cost structure, it gives us a, an advantage that we could pass on to customers. So For sure. So when you think about, let's pivot a little bit to the build versus buy question, right? So obviously, HipTick, Became one signal and they went through the build versus buy uh, mm-hmm. scenario. Although being bootstrapped and trying to build something great, you saw an opportunity. So you mm-hmm. built. Um, right. What are the important things for a company to be thoughtful about if they're thinking about building in today's day and age? And think about it from more of a kind of medium to larger size business. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of things you really have to think about as a startup. One is the cost of different paths that you take, but the other one is time. And when you're making these build versus buy decisions and also trying to sort of run your business, it's really important that you you seek to sort of invest as much of your money as possible and as much of your time as possible into the core thing that's going to make you successful. If you're getting overly distracted with spending time building something that's outside of your core product, obviously that really takes away from being able to build the rest of your business. And similarly, if you're investing a lot of money into into something outside of your core business, that that can be a real problem as well. And you know, in, in our case, when we were a game studio, you know, frankly, we were in a, in a pretty tough spot. We looked at trying to build our own thing, but even then, it was we recognized that it was going to be extremely painful to do it because it was taking time away from building games. Um, and we looked at buying solutions, and we found them all to be really exorbitantly expensive, and similarly, also pretty time consuming to leverage effectively. And I mean, that's kind of where the opportunity arose. 
Now, in other spaces, like you know, um, when it came to good products for running ads or products for user acquisition or things like that, there were more immediate, affordable, accessible solutions out there in the market, and it was really a no-brainer to go and use them. And today, with OneSignal on the market, I think it's a no-brainer for people to evaluate a product like ours or, or some of the other products out there versus building it themselves. I think a lot of people assume that notifications are something where you just build it once, maybe take some open source library and, and you're set. But the reality is you're really not. What's going to happen is as your business grows, chances are the solution you picked may not scale or it may not have the capabilities that you actually need or that people on your team are asking for. And then at the same time, you're, you're adopting a product in a technology market that is evolving very quickly. So nearly every new version of iOS introduces some technological changes and notifications. And we saw this especially with iOS 10 and then iOS 13. And similarly on Android, pretty much every single version of Android changes notifications in some way. And so if you've chosen to build, your product may keep working or it may not. You may actually need to go back and step away from the other priorities of your business to fix it, as a lot of people had to do with iOS 13. Or what's going to happen is uh, the technology platforms are going to evolve while your internal solution does not, and you're going to find that your competitors are doing things that you can't. So if there's an opportunity where you can buy a solution that just helps take away the technical burden of maintaining a notification infrastructure, as an example, and that helps you stay ahead of your competitors by using new features that are being introduced into devices, that's a pretty strong uh, reason to buy. It's interesting. So I've been here 15-ish or 16 months now, and uh, I see you, George, in particular, being on top of, to the point of, like, Apple makes an announcement about deprecation of a uh, protocol that's going to happen mm-hmm. in a year, and you writing a, a post about it and publishing it within, mm-hmm. you know, I, I should I should say 24 <laughs> hours is a professional word, but actually it was like hours. Yeah. And so I, I give you a lot of credit and the team in terms of being on top of these changes. And, but it mm-hmm. is it actually is surprising to me how many changes do happen. Right. We've had yeah. I, since I've been here, we've had two iOS updates that have introduced new features mm-hmm. and or uh, changed the way features worked. We've had Android, we'll have another Android uh, this in the spring, and now we're having major browser changes, which yep. you've, you've written about as well. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of changes. Uh, the, just the brass tacks, though, of it is a pretty big software development investment, mm-hmm. and then the feature complexity adds a lot of engineering work and then right. maintenance on that, and then hosting delivery costs. And we've written a build versus buy kind of extensive post on this earlier in the year. But is that the extent of it? Like, is that how people should be thinking about it if they're really making this investment? If you're really large, mm-hmm. right? If mm-hmm. you're if you're a, a LinkedIn, mm-hmm. um, you know, being part of Microsoft or a, a major e-commerce site or an Uber, mm-hmm. like this is core to your business. Mm-hmm. How does the bill versus buy change for someone like that? Yeah, I mean, if you're a big company, you certainly can probably afford the resources to build it, and it's core enough to your business that there's good reasons to go ahead and do that. I think the other part is, you know, after you're past a certain scale, like if you're a Twitter, a Facebook, a Snapchat, something like that, if there's a problem, you're big enough that you can sort of probably pick up the phone and talk to someone at Google, and, and they'll solve it for you. So I think you're a lot of times uh, you're pretty safe going the build direction, and there's some good business value to that. For anyone outside of that, you don't have that power, right? If you have an issue, you can't easily like have five engineers ready to fix it, or you can't easily pick up the phone and talk to Google to get the problem solved. Whereas if you can find a vendor that can provide you that kind of support, it's it's really a no-brainer. 
But even for us, one of the things I've been doing is, is starting to talk to people that lead notification development infrastructure at some of these bigger companies like Facebook and Twitter and then places like that. And they themselves struggle to keep up with the technological changes. And in fact, I've been able to share a lot of our own learnings because it is something that we're, we're literally everyone at OneSignal is, is thinking about this, is living and breathing notifications and messaging and having conversations with the platforms and seeing from the experiences of hundreds of thousands of developers. And that's a body of knowledge that, that really nobody else in the industry is able to have. And we're, we're actually trying to find ways to start passing that information down to even the biggest enterprises in the world. Yeah, that's great. Any other last comments or thoughts about this topic? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, the messaging world is, is really a fascinating space, in part because it is evolving so quickly. When you look at the way that, that you, people were interacting with businesses, you know, even three or four or five years ago, it's very, very different than it is today. It's also really interesting to think about what that's going to look like over the next uh, two, three, four years. And one of the things that we're trying to do as a business is, is to stay very agile, to stay ahead of the different technology trends that are happening, to help inform our customers and, and to help support them to stay ahead of all these changes. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you know, with a roughly a little bit less than 30-person product development team to mm-hmm. reach the scale, you know, five plus billion messages a day, mm-hmm. billion plus devices. As you think about 2020, Mm-hmm. Uh, and this sort of this journey, not just one signal, but messaging's on. Mm-hmm. Um, are there going to be any major changes for push? And what are the things that people should be thoughtful about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a, a few changes that come down the line. I mean, first, from a technology standpoint, there's actually some changes that we anticipate happening to how push works in browsers that's going to make it less spammy for folks and actually probably increase the user experience in a lot of positive ways. There's changes coming to the infrastructure of Apple's push notification service that they announced recently. And also, uh, Google has a new protocol that they are now uh, encouraging developers to use. I think it's the fourth one, right? You had C2DM uh, was their first push protocol, and then they switched to GCM, and then FCM, and now you have FCM v1, which is the latest thing. So a lot of technological changes happening. And all that is sort of in service of improving the user experience with notifications, making sure that people are getting messages that are relevant and engaging and that they enjoy receiving, and then also putting more control in the hands of users around turning off or not receiving messages that aren't engaging. So overall, uh, a lot of sort of evolution around the user experience that I think is going to be great for consumers and also a good opportunity for businesses to start better leveraging these channels to improve their engagement. Yeah, but you're preaching the choir here. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, George, hey, I appreciate you coming on. I'm looking forward to having you in future uh, episodes. So, thank you. Yeah, I look forward to it. Take care. Mm-hmm.